Greetings, friends and brethren in the Lord. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Last week, I started a two-part series entitled Sermon on the Mount, Adorning the Bride for Her Bridegroom. The Lord gave me a new perspective and appreciation of the importance of this teaching, and I believe these nine principles laid out in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount will serve you well as you live out your Christian life. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us nine guidelines to walk in a state of blessedness and as well showing us the way a believer can begin the journey of preparing oneself to be his bride. These nine principles are really a manual that directs us into a lifestyle of intimacy and a deepening and mature relationship with Christ that will serve us well when they revile and persecute us, because in that day, we will be able to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. The Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful illustration of Jesus himself, who he was, who he is, and who he will forever be. His incredible nature and character so eloquently portrayed in these nine principles. Now, last week I did talk about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled But I felt like I needed to cover that a little uh, more deeply with more scripture. So I actually want to start there today. And I want to begin with scriptures that talk to us about thirsting, thirsting for righteousness. If you turn with me, and I'm in the New King James Version, if you turn with me to Isaiah 55, verse 1. Isaiah is writing as if the Lord is speaking. And so this is the Lord speaking. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, come to me, hear, and your soul shall live. We see in these several scriptures that the Lord himself is saying, hey, You who thirst, come, come to the living waters. See, you can't, you don't need money because money can't buy what the Lord can give you. When he says, you know, come and buy without money and without price, you can't put a price tag on hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You can't buy it. Money can't buy that. Jesus himself speaks to us in the Gospel of John 
And if you turn there to chapter 7, and the context is Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is at the Feast of Tabernacles, which they just finished celebrating right now in Israel. It's a fall harvest feast. It's a feast that you and I as believers, we're going to celebrate this feast for the rest of our days, even when we're with the Lord. This is, this is a forever feast that we will get to rejoice with him. But this is what it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, 37. It says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We see in these scriptures that Jesus is the only one who can quench that thirst. He is the one that in John chapter 4, he told the woman at the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, they shall be satisfied. Jesus is the righteous one. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 read, Paul's writing, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 17, For in it, referring to the gospel of Christ, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So we see that Romans tells us God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel itself. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3 chapter 3. We're going to look at several scriptures here starting with verse 21. Paul writes, "But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed" being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. 
First Corinthians 1.30 says this, But of him, referring to Jesus Christ, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus Christ became righteousness. The word is clear. It reveals to us that Jesus is the righteous one. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are ultimately hungering and thirsting for Jesus. That's why we shall be filled and satisfied. When we hunger, when we run hard after God and we thirst for him, we will be filled. We will be satisfied. The next um, beatitude is, and we already talked about mercy last week, is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what does that mean, they shall see God? Well, that word in Greek means to behold. It means to gaze with wide open eyes as at something remarkable. And it's actually different from another Greek word that I can't pronounce, which denotes simply a voluntary observation. But this specific Greek word to see is an earnest but more continued inspection. So it really reads, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall gaze their eyes wide open at something remarkable. And this remarkable thing they're going to gaze on is God. They shall see God. They're going to gaze upon this remarkable God. And they're going to stay in a state of continued earnest inspection. In other words, they, they're going to want to behold God. They're going to want to gaze on God. They're keeping this, this, um, this affection toward God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's look at Psalm 15, verses 1 and 2. And this is what it reads. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. We can see in this scripture that it's the pure in heart, the one who's walking with uprightly or righteous, in right standing, that means in right standing with God, and is speaking the truth in his heart. It's as if you're saying, someone who's speaking out of a pure heart. They're speaking the truth in their heart. So they're speaking out of a pure heart. Psalm 24, 
verses 3 and 4. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. I want you to see how important this is. This keeping a pure heart. I've shared with you many times because this ministry is called Pure Heart Ministries. It's called Pure Heart Ministries for a reason. Because the Lord himself spoke to me about having a pure heart and about maintaining a pure heart. And so, to actually maintain a pure heart, it requires gazing on God. It requires an earnest, continued gazing and beholding God. Because as we behold Him, you see, as you behold God, as you gaze on Him, He's righteous. I just shared all those verses with you about who is the righteous one, who is the holy one. And as we gaze upon Him, it causes something in us, in our spirit, to want to be like Him. We suddenly start having the desires of God. We want to walk in holiness. We want to walk in purity. We want to walk with a heart that is pure before Him. And those who have this desire, they are not only going to see God, but they're actually going to, and behold Him, they're actually going to have greater relationship with Him greater revelation from him, greater wisdom downloaded to them. This is a very key beatitude in terms of preparing the bride to be adorned for her bridegroom. This is the heart of God. You see, first we're needy. First we know I can't do anything without God. I need him as Savior in my life. Blessed are those who mourn, those who have a cry in their heart for the lost. As Jesus had a cry in his heart and he wept over Jerusalem because they missed the time of their visitation. And we cry and we mourn for those who are missing an opportunity to know Christ. And blessed are the humble, the meek, the tender, the gentle ones, because they're going to inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they're going to be satisfied. And blessed are the pure in heart. God is pure. He is totally pure. We saw in the, one of the previous scriptures, there's no sin in him. There's no darkness in him, John 1 says. He is the light. He's the light of the world. 
So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall behold God. And when you behold God with a pure heart, you're going to develop a greater intimacy and greater depth of relationship with him. You are going to gain greater revelation of who he is through his word. Um, you're going to you're going to get downloads. That's all. The, I mean, you're going to get downloads from heaven. So. It is incumbent upon us to want to desire to have a pure heart. That's part of the bride adorning herself for the bridegroom. It's not just knowing we need God. It's not just knowing that we walk with humility and tenderness and and consideration of others and, and that we're constantly hungering and, and thirsting for righteousness and, and showing mercy and extending mercy. But we must have a pure heart. The next beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Whoa, this is very, very important. This is very important. Ephesians 2.14 tells us, for he himself is our peace. I said at the opening statement, that these beatitudes reflect the nature and character of God. God is our peace. He himself is our peace, Ephesians 2.14. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 9, verse 6, that he's called the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Jesus embodies peace. Everything about him is peace. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we receive peace with God when having been justified by faith means that we are made righteous by the righteous judge, when we come to know him as Lord and Savior, when you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, that is called justification. You have been made righteous by the judge. It's a legal term. And in the courts of heaven, you have been declared righteous. And when that happens, the scripture here in Romans 5, 1 says, we now have peace with God. Because what you have to understand is prior to you accepting Christ as Savior, you're an enemy of God. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're an enemy of God. And the only way you are reconciled to God and you have peace with him is through the Lord Jesus Christ and being justified by faith. 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, but God has called us to peace. So when it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of gods, it is a priority 
to shod our feet with the gospel of peace. In other words, we have a serious responsibility to bring peace in all of our relationships. Every relationship that you have, spouse, children, uh, relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins. Let's take it down. Neighbors, co-workers. We have a responsibility to bring peace in relationships because this says, blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, we are responsible, responsible for making peace in these relationships. And when you see trouble brewing, be a peacemaker. I have recently encountered several people whose marriages are really on the rocks. These are Christian people, Christian couples whose marriages are about to unravel. And I am trying to do my part to bring peace, to be a peacemaker so that these people Couples will reconcile to one another. Now, there's a, there's a good reason to be a peacemaker. Not only to receive a blessing, because see, this, these are all blessings. When you, when you walk out these things, they're blessings. It's a state of blessedness when you do these things. Because Jesus is saying, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It could be daughters of God. It's genderless. It's not speaking masculine here. So when you and I make uh, an effort to bring peace into relationships, we are then called children of God. You see, to be a true child, to be a true child of God, you should be a peacemaker. That should be a priority in your life. Listen to what Timothy writes in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Timothy is exhorting us that we have to pursue peace in addition to righteousness, faith, and love. We are to pursue peace with those who call on the Lord. We not only have an obligation to walk in peace and to pursue peace in relationships in our family, in our neighbors, neighborhoods, in our workplaces, but also with those who call on the Lord, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. And we do it out of a pure heart. Well, we just read, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall behold God. And Timothy's saying, look, pursue this peace. 
with those who call on the Lord. In other words, in the body of Christ, pursue peace out of your pure heart. So it's out of a pure heart that you want to be a peacemaker. If you are not walking in this peace, then you are not a child of God. Because a true child is a peacemaker. A true child of God is a peacemaker. And that should be a high, very high priority on your list of things. Very high priority. This is very, very important. This thing about peace is very important that you be a peacemaker. Your feet, as it says in Ephesians, your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. As a child of God, your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. That means wherever you go, wherever you physically go, you should be carrying peace so that people can experience the peace of God, the Prince of Peace. So it's incumbent upon you to carry carry this peace so that you can show off the Prince of Peace and carry him and take him to those who are not experiencing peace in any way. As I mentioned, these two marriages, they're unraveling because of hurt feelings, broken hearts, whatever, anger, bitterness. But we are called to be peacemakers, and to the best that we can, we try to bring the Prince of Peace into the situation to bring healing and wholeness to whatever the situation may be. In this case, to bring wholeness and restoration to these marriages. So a true child of God is somebody that has that desire. If you don't have that desire, if you stir up trouble, and there are people in the church today that stir up trouble. They stir up trouble and they like stirring up trouble. And they are not, the word says it right here, they are not children of God. They're children of the devil because they're not walking in alignment with the heart of Father God. They're aligning themselves with the devil. It's just plain and simple. I just have to be honest. A true child is a peacemaker, and they will go to great extent to bring peace in, in relationships and in situations that they know that there is great need of the Prince of Peace. Next, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And lastly, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus was reviled. He was persecuted for righteousness sake. He hung on the cross He took the sins of mankind, but he never sinned. He was certainly reviled. And that word revile means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. So when people talk about you, they criticize you, they insult you, 
You are blessed, blessed, blessed. If they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for, for the Lord's sake, just rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven. This brings an end to this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, adorning the bride for the bridegroom. I want you to please go to the website, and I want to tell you, you, you cannot Google it at this moment. It, we don't have it set up. You can't just Google Pure Heart. It won't come up. You actually have to go into your browser thingy and type www.pureheart.today. I'd like you to sign up for the newsletter. If you would go on our Facebook page, it's just called Pure Heart Ministries. If you look up Pure Heart Ministries, you should find our Facebook page. Like our Facebook page and send me an email. Let me know what you think of the website. We are now preparing, uh, as of tomorrow, November 1st, you will be able to see the new teaching on Dewdrops, Evening Whispers, and the prophetic word for November. So I really encourage you, go to the website, check out um, if you need to listen, re-listen to a podcast, they're on there. And um, with that, I leave you with... These words, shalom, shalom, peace to you.